going to be in Mark 8, 1 through 10, so I invite you to turn to your Bibles. It will be up also on the screen, but Mark 8, the first 10 chapters. Have you ever been in a situation where someone stayed well past the end of the evening? Of course you have. Well past the hour of going home. I have been the guest who did not want to leave. And also the host who was bone tired and ready for people to get going. Most of us can understand both scenarios of being the host and being the guest and the possible awkwardness that happens, mostly because the majority of us don't want to be rude. For those who stick to etiquette, they would tell us that there are actions that we can take to get rid of lingering visitors. Stop serving them. Do the dishes. Give them to-go boxes. Get their coats. Start yawning. Hint at what an early morning it's going to be. When I think about the times, though, that I didn't want to go, it was for a variety of reasons. I was in a place with people I loved. We were having great discussions or a lot of fun. But when I truly stop and contemplate those times that I stayed, it was because there was something happening that was filling my soul. A moment that I didn't want to end. It wasn't about the party. It was about having a meaningful connection with people and feeling safe and sharing life and being content in a way that to leave would feel like loss. When these times happen, we recognize that there is a mutuality that can occur when no one is eager for the time together to be over. Jesus and a large group of people are having that kind of moment in the portion of scripture that we read today. They have been together for three days, and the party shows no signs of breaking up. 4,000 of them have stayed, even when they've run out of food, which causes Jesus concern. He's not been eager for them to go. They have not been ready to leave. They want to stay close and listen to more of his stories and ask questions and enjoy life all together. This gathering is meeting their needs clearly at a deep level, and then Jesus decides to meet their physical needs, which he does by giving them food. In a familiar scene, he supplies a meal, and then he models five aspects of provision that then teach us how he cares for people who gather, for those who are wanting to linger with him. So please listen and follow along as I read the scripture from Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance His disciples replied, well, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground and he told, and he took the seven loaves and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. They also had a few small fish and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. 
They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Delmantua. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Nikki talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And she talked about how we as people are never satisfied and gave us that challenge about what that means for us. Today, we're going to turn and look at the Savior and what compelling actions we see here with Jesus that cause us to draw near to him, that cause us to not want to leave him. So we're going to talk about compassion, consistency, simplicity, gratefulness, and generosity. And for each point, we're going to read a little quote from someone who has spent time with Jesus, allowing those words also to fill our souls along with the scripture. First, we see how Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus felt sorry for the crowd. Just when we think the host must be out of his mind and needing a break or wanting to move on, his heart is moved to consider what it must have been like to be them, how they were hungry and would possibly not make it back to their homes before they fainted. And then at once he understood how weak they were. He made the decision to help them. Compassion is putting ourselves in the place of someone else to try to feel what it must be like to be them. And we know that to be understood, even if no help is offered, is a gift in itself. But isn't this what Jesus does for the whole world in an ultimate way? The very reason he's with them is because he had compassion, knowing that all of us would need his help. His love propelled him from heaven to action. Him being there in the flesh, although he is God, is already an extraordinary act of compassion. And now he takes it a step further and has decided it is a good idea to feed them. William Barclay, the commentator, says that compassion is threefold. Compassion takes observation, imagination, and sympathy. Jesus observes their physical state, he imagines their discomfort, and he sympathizes with how hungry they are, and that causes him to act. Barclay went on to say that as humans, we often lack the capacity for having all three aspects of compassion. I think that's true, especially as we see evidenced by the disciples. In the feeding of the 5,000, they were the ones who went to Jesus and said, um, it's time to break up the party, so send these people away so that they can go and get something to eat. In that case, Jesus put it on them to figure out how to solve the problem. Here, Jesus begins the conversation with them after three days, and I think that this is kind of funny. I think that the disciples weren't about to bring it up. <laughs> I think that they were waiting to see what the Lord was going to do. And so Jesus poses the dilemma to them. And the disciples respond with how impossible it is to help people in the desert when there's no way of getting bread. But God's compassion is not limited to the impossible. Ever. We, like the disciples, sometimes do not act 
when Jesus puts a problem before us. We argue with him with how it won't work, why it's not feasible. Even when Jesus here paints a word picture of people possibly fainting on the road, the disciples are not moved. What do we do when God points something specifically out to us? We should listen. We should confess, Lord, in our finite nature, we don't really want to do this. Everything within us sometimes screams, I don't want to be bothered. Listen to what the late priest and academic Henry Nouwen says about how compassion challenges us. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in the brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. The Lord has been sympathetic to our needs in our lives. He has tangibly come alongside of you and me when we did not deserve it because of his great love for us. Where is he calling you then to be more compassionate to those around you? How is he painting a picture of those needs you can meet? Secondly, in this passage, we see the great consistency of God. We don't know how far apart the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000 are, but they show us a picture of God that we know to be true. And the truth of his consistency brings comfort to those who know him. We might question, well, why did he need to do this miracle again? Why is it recorded in two gospels since the message is the same? Or we might read it as a profound truth of God's character. Being consistent is a hallmark of God. The writer of Hebrews reminds us how he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Forever, God is the same. These two great miracles show us how he lovingly cared for people in a similar way on his time on earth. We see his compassion and know it's who he is. He provided manna in the desert for the Israelites. He showed Noah how to build a boat when there was a storm coming. He had a big fish swallow Jonah so Jonah wouldn't drown. What we know to be true about God, what we see here, is that God does not fail. And God always provides a way to help. Even when it might not look like help in the moment and we envision something different. Even when the Israelites complained about the manna, when Noah's neighbors laughed, and Jonah probably wished he had gone to Nineveh to begin with, God knew what was best and gave according to his purposes. How in your life have you experienced the consistency of God? How has he lived up to his promises of being reliable, of always being there for you? How has that faithfulness caused you to know him more? This week at Senior Lunch, I gave them a verse to bless them, which also fits here. It's from Isaiah 46. I will be the same until your old age. 
and I will bear you up when you turn gray. I have made you and I will carry you. I will bear and rescue you. May we continue to experience the consistency of God's care until we turn gray. And may we continue to give him praise for his provision. The third attribute that Jesus models here is simplicity. When you think about simplicity, is it a good thing? We need very little to live here, to live well, really, even by the standards of God. When he feeds people in these miracles in the desert, even when he makes food for the disciples after the resurrection, it is elemental. It is fresh from the sea or feel to the table, as they might say today. Jesus is the king who reigns in glory, but he uses what is present. He uses what can be found as provision for the crowd. Here and in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asks for what is available. Could he have provided glittering platters of all kinds of delicious food? Of course. But he asks people to give what they have so that others might simply be fed. We see Jesus does this a lot. He needed a platform to preach when he was by the, ocean, by the water, and so he asked for a boat. He wants a coat, a colt, so that he can come through town on Palm Sunday. He needs a room for the Last Supper. Jesus asks for what is available from those who are around so the needs of others might be met, so his purposes might be done. Maybe this is why the disciples faltered. The need seemed too great. Except notice this time they are prepared. Last time they had to go and scrounge through the crowd to see what they could find. This time they said, we have seven loaves. Good for them. They have fish of their own to share. Jesus doesn't ask us to feed the whole world. He asks us if we're willing to give what we have so that he can use it to help others. I don't know about you, but I've been pretty inspired this last month to be reading about people who give lots of money after their death, people who live simply, teachers, normal people, people didn't even know they were squiring money away, and then all of a sudden, in their passing, they give this huge bequeath. Is that a word? They bequeath, that's right. They bequeath these uh, gifts to people. They didn't tell anybody. And we look at that and we think, what compels someone to do that? Why? Why would they do that? And listen to this story. In February, a sixth grade teacher in Alabama named Price Lawrence went to work on Monday after having a difficult weekend. During first period, the kids could tell that he was a little bit off. And so they said, hey, why aren't you acting normally today? And he said to them that his wife's father had just passed away and he was worried about her. And they expressed their sadness for him and he had everybody get back to work. After class, he stood at the door to give high fives and hugs, and one of his students put something in his hand. It was money that she had brought to school for a treat. She said, this is for your wife. I know it was real expensive when my daddy died, and I don't really want ice cream today anyways. With three quarters was a note that said, Ms. Lawrence, I'm sorry. The missionary Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way 
will never lack God's supplies. The Lord asks us what we have to give. We have a God who came in humility and asks us to live simply so that we might be able to be generous with those around us. We give so God's will might be realized for them, but also for us. One of the most consistent ways that Jesus portrays his trust in the Father was through gratefulness. This is our fourth point, and it could be argued the most important. Because a heart that is grateful to God for everything is one that trusts in ways that those who are not grateful cannot understand. Jesus gives thanks for the borrowed bread, showing how good the Father is for this meal that they've been given. This is not a small thing. When we stop and when we offer prayers before our meals, it is a reminder that we are telling him we know all that we have comes from him, that he has made us, that he provides. It is a witness with those around us, those that we're eating with, that we trust in God for our necessities. In this way, we honor the Lord. We acknowledge that he has made us. We acknowledge that he keeps us alive with what he provides. Feeding 4,000 is a miracle. But isn't every meal a miracle? When Jesus pauses to give thanks, he is not blessing the food. He is praising God who made the food possible. How is your gratefulness meter right now? When our prayers at the table become perfunctory, when we are discontent with what we have, when there is a pattern of complaining in our lives, it is time to stop and ask for forgiveness, choosing to see all that we have been given with humility and thanks. I have a friend who started a gratefulness journal a few years ago and is now up to over 4,000 entries of thanks to God for the daily blessings she receives. When she goes back to look at some of the things that she has written, it makes her even more grateful to the Lord. There's an endless supply in all of our lives of events and people and beauty and truth. So many things to give God praise for, gifts that the Lord has given us. Jesus took time for thanks. So should we. It will make us more like him. A.W. Tozer, who was a great pastor in the last century, said this, Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of the Lord, and it is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poorer but richer for having made it. Lastly, Jesus shows us what generosity looks like. We haven't really talked about where this miracle is happening, but it plays into our ideas here. In the last few weeks, remember, we've been talking about how Jesus is no longer in the place around the Sea of Galilee. He's gone up to be in Gentile territory. And in going to those places, Jesus is demonstrating how there's no barrier to God's love. We are the ones that make divisions as humans, not him. In this story, he's still ministering in Gentile territory. And because of this, some scholars have said, this is why there are two miracles, the 5,000 and the 4,000. Because the 5,000 was for the Jewish crowd and the 4,000 was for the Gentiles. If this 
is the case, then God shows us generosity in two ways. He gives to all without distinction, and that there is enough food for everyone to be fed. Multiplication is evident here. Although we can't see it, the bread and the fish keep coming. There are seven baskets left over. Jesus gives freely and in abundance. Ignatius of Loyola said, God will not be outdone in generosity. While it's not a competition, it's good to remember how much the Lord has given to those whom he loves. That is everyone. I love hearing people give God praise for how much they've given to them. But let us continue to outdo ourselves in recognizing the generosity of our great king. Jesus had to move on from this place after they all ate together. Sadly, the party had to end. But soon he would give his life on the cross, and then he would provide a way for everyone to experience closeness with him all the time. So the party really never has to end. After we've spent solid time with him here in this place, he goes with us to the next place, helping us to be compassionate, consistent, to live with simplicity, to be grateful and generous. The Lord is the one that teaches us how to live, who calls us deeper with him, and then helps us embody his life as we go. So today, where is he calling you to be more like him through this passage? Let us pray and hear what he has to say. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.